electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Call it the Google Maps of space. Leo Labs is a Silicon Valley startup tracking and analyzing all of the stuff orbiting Earth. Stuff like satellites, but also the many thousands of pieces of junk swirling around, putting spacecraft and even people in danger. We're watching the skies. We're watching all the satellites. We're watching all the debris and helping everybody operate safely in space. You can think about it a lot like air traffic management. Except it's space traffic management, as CEO Dan Separately notes. Leo Labs is tracking so many objects so regularly, its system detected Russia's anti-satellite test last fall, when the country blasted a defunct spacecraft into a massive cloud of debris, before the world even knew it had happened. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. Dan Separately created Leo Labs in 2016, building out a network of ground-based radars to map objects in low Earth orbit and a software platform to analyze them. He says Leo Labs is the first vertically integrated company to do it. Yeah, it's actually a kind of really strange market in a way. And the reason is actually the, uh, the market was distorted uh, by the U.S. government. The, uh, on the one hand, uh, the U.S. has the Space Surveillance Network, a worldwide network of some radars and telescopes and, and software uh, that was monitoring space. Um, on the other hand, the research community realized, the research part of the U.S. government realized that with this wave of low-cost satellites, uh, it was actually going to overwhelm the space surveillance network, and there was a need to rapidly expand its capabilities. You know, sort of like there's all these new satellites are uh, going up into space, the capabilities to track them needed to expand rapidly. Uh, and so they actually uh, contracted with me when I was at a research lab to explore the question of how do we do this? And the answer was, we knew how to do it. And, uh, and that's why we created Leo Labs. We spun it out of the research lab uh, to develop this capability. And in uh, six years, I'm very happy to say, um, we've sprinted into the lead to be the largest data provider for low Earth orbit in the world. Mm. So run through some of the stats with me. I mean, how much data are you collecting on a daily basis? How many pieces of debris are we potentially talking about? I, I mean, I know the numbers are just staggering and potentially even more so, uh, especially given some of the, for example, that Russian ASAT test we saw not that long ago. Yeah, the numbers, uh, the numbers are quite shocking in a way. So uh, the growth is impressive. And so, you know, the exciting part is we're in the middle of the second space race. And it's really commercial this time. It's all about all these new businesses and delivering services rapidly around the world. And we want to support that. We want to make that all successful. Uh, and in about the last three years, the number of active satellites in low Earth orbit has gone from 800 to about 3,000. And in the next few years, it's supposed to go to about 50,000. It's really rare you see the number of satellites or just in any market, the kind of number of activities go up so dramatically. Um, but hanging over all of this is actually the risk of space debris. So there's about 3,000 satellites working in low Earth orbit today. Uh, 
but there's about 15, 16,000 pieces of debris that are tracked. So five times more debris. And then on top of that, there's a couple hundred thousand pieces of small debris that are simply not tracked and satellites are not being protected from them today. So it's sort of like we're driving down the freeway and we see the trucks, but we don't see the cars and we don't see the motorcycles. And so a big part of what we're doing at Leo Labs, our next step is to track all that small debris. And that's some stuff that some announcements will have later this year. How do you do that? Yeah, so it's a, a combination <laughs> of a new generation of radars uh, that actually we developed uh, inside the company and we've been rolling out over the last few years and an advanced set of analytics uh, to make sense of all of it. So uh, we have four radar sites in operation today, uh, one in Alaska, one in Texas, one in New Zealand, and one in Costa Rica, and then uh, two more announced radar sites uh, under construction uh, in Portugal and in Australia. And it's these newer radars, New Zealand, Costa Rica, Portugal, Australia, that detect all of this small debris. And then we process it all in the cloud so that in real time we can get out alerts and basically send out an alert to let you know that your satellite might be coming dangerously close uh, to another satellite or another piece of debris and you can swerve and avoid. And we put out about, or we create about 300 million of these potential collision alerts every single month. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's, 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 you hear about this idea of, you know, space or low earth orbit specifically that it's getting quote unquote crowded. But when I hear a number like 300 million, I mean, it's just, it's, it's eye popping. Yeah. You know, it's a uh, low earth orbit. It's interesting. It's basically the innovation lab of the industry. It's where all of these new low cost satellites are going, these massive constellations of satellites. Uh, and it's also where all the astronauts go. Um, but it's really, it's unorganized. So there's, you know, satellites going north-south and in the opposite way, south-north. There's lower inclination satellites that stay closer to the equator. Uh, and, and kind of this disorganization makes it, uh, it, it adds to the safety problem. So a big part of what we're doing is providing um, much more management, much more visibility into what's going on so that you can put a whole lot more satellites uh, into space. And if we do this well, we can keep launching thousands or tens of thousands of satellites and they can be saved. Uh, there's an interesting analogy that uh, one of our uh, technical fellows came up with. Um, space, you know, these large constellations that are going up, they're sort of like marching bands at halftime, you know, on the football field. You can put a lot of performers uh, out there on the field that are spinning around and moving between one another at high speed. And there are no accidents because they're highly coordinated. And that's like all these new satellites that are being launched. Uh, the problem is the drunken fan who runs out onto the field, you know, and runs into mm -hmm. the player. That's the piece of space debris. And so right now, space debris is actually the biggest problem for space traffic management. We looked at our data set uh, from the last year. Uh, we looked at about 700,000 potential collisions. Only 3% of them were between two active satellites. You know, the other 97% involved at least one piece of debris. And so that really means, you know, when you're driving down the road of space, you really got to watch out for all that debris. You know, you, you can talk to all the other active satellites, but there's, there's nobody telling the debris what to do. So when we're talking about thousands or tens of thousands of satellites, 
uh, that are destined for low Earth orbit, not to mention more and more human traffic um, to low Earth orbit. I would imagine there's a great demand for the product that you have created here. Who are you selling that demand to? Yeah, so we're currently serving uh, over 50% of all the satellites in low Earth orbit uh, with collision avoidance services. Uh, we've also supported over the launch of over half of all the active satellites. Uh, and, uh, that's another service where we locate the satellite immediately after it reaches space and help uh, the satellite operator bring it into operations. Um, but it's a number of satellite companies that probably many people have heard of. So uh, SpaceX's Starlink Constellation is one big customer, uh, OneWeb uh, as well. Uh, Maxar Digital Globe is the set of satellites that provide a lot of the satellite imagery for Google Maps and other online platforms. Uh, and then we also, we support some of the space agencies. So uh, in New Zealand, the New Zealand Space Agency is actually the first regulator in the world to keep up with this traffic and keep an eye on it. And they're using us for that purpose. And we also just announced that uh, we're working with the UK Space Agency um, also on the topic of space traffic management and regulations. That's interesting. I wouldn't have expected New Zealand. I mean, are they staying more on top of it than the US or is it that they have this commercial partnership or public-private partnership with you, uh, whereas the U.S. is doing so much of it internally still? Yeah, and New Zealand is, uh, you know, in a, re a really exciting place in the space industry. Uh, it's the newest launching nation, you know, with, the, uh, with Rocket Lab launching satellites out of there. And that actually makes it essentially the gateway to space for a lot of innovative new companies. You know, they, uh, they take their first satellites to New Zealand to get them into space. And the New Zealand government, rightly, is really proud of this. Uh, they, you know, they're doing a really good thing for the industry, uh, but there's also a huge uh, sustainability ethic that runs through the country. And so they came to us because they wanted to make sure uh, everything they were doing, all the satellites they were promoting, uh, were not creating a safety or sustainability uh, burden for space. And so, you know, they've been using us to actually keep an eye on what's going on to help them to guide kind of future uh, plans, future policies, future norms, that actually makes them, uh, puts them out in the lead globally for being able to drive this conversation about what should the rules of the road be? How do we better organize space? Or frankly, how do we upgrade all of these norms for the, the next generation, for this kind of new way that space is being architected uh, and run? And, you know, uh, New Zealand, they've kind of, they've really jumped on the bandwagon of all these uh, new commercial services, you know, Rocket Lab, uh, commercial launch provider, uh, made them a um, spacefaring nation in very short order. Um, we have a radar there and obviously are delivering services. So they've got access to this global network of uh, space monitoring radars kind of right out the gate. And that's really the new part of the, the new way, the second space revolution is having a massive impact. It's all these commercial ventures that are willing to take big risks. And when those uh, investments pay off, when the capabilities are on the air, uh, these space agencies can just use them. And it takes the risk way down. It's no longer do the governments have to foot the entire bill for building this thing out. Mm. Uh, and it also takes the, uh, the timelines way down. They can get access to service right away rather than having to do it the, the slow way of, you know, building out these these large systems, whether they're satellites, which is rockets or radars. Hmm. It's really fascinating. Um, 
I, are you contracted with the U.S. government or are you talking to the U.S. government about some of your services as, as well? And what does that mean for some of the more traditional contractor programs? I think about like the Lockheed Martin Space Fence, for example. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we work with a number of uh, different organizations in the U.S. government. So, for example, uh, NOAA uses us to protect some of the nation's weather satellites. Uh, and, um, you know, we work with uh, the U.S. Department of Defense. Uh, and basically, we enable just a lot more eyes on the sky quickly. So being able to keep up with all of this new traffic. And so, you know, I view it as we on on the the satellite operation side we want to drive safety we want to drive sustainability on more the defense national security side we want to drive deterrence and you want to prevent surprise and there's just so much new activity going on it's hard to stay abreast of all of it uh you know and there's um uh, there's a lot of new missions like satellite servicing missions debris removal missions uh, that have a uh, have a very important kind of commercial need to keep space clean, keep satellites healthy, um, but can rightly raise some concerns on the national security front that they could be um, you know used inappropriately. And by having uh, additional eyes on the sky, we can drive transparency and basically call out risky activities whenever they occur, so that uh, we can really bring to bear a lot of uh, public pressure, a lot of diplomatic pressure. Uh, to correct the, maybe the course of uh, the space industry or, or really push back against certain activities. You know, so you mentioned earlier the Russian uh, Cosmos 1408 anti-satellite weapons test back in November. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that was a really rough day in the space industry. It, uh, that day, uh, Russia launched a missile that blew up this old Soviet satellite and ultimately created thousands of new pieces of debris that we're going to be dealing with into the 2030s, if not beyond, mm. they're up there for a long time. You know, the big problem with space is the sky isn't falling. Uh, you create this debris, it stays there. Uh, and, um, you know, when that unfolded that day and actually throughout that week, we were the only organization publishing data about what we saw in space. We were the only, because we had all these radars watching, uh, we were able to say that, yes, indeed. Uh, an unfortunate event occurred, there was new debris, and in fact, this debris threatened uh, astronauts, it threatened uh, a lot of the new satellites that have been deployed in space, uh, and that countered some of the other messages that have been put out that, hey, this was a harmless test, there was, nobody was at risk, uh, and so we really view our role as, as delivering those facts and delivering them in a very timely manner. Which again raises the question of rules of the road. Uh, and I would imagine you have some thoughts on that. And certainly where the ASAT tests are concerned, the anti-satellite tests are concerned, the U.S. has since come, now, come out and said that it won't be conducting these types of tests and is urging other countries to get on board and make similar pledges. Um, but in general, what do the rules of the road need to look like from your vantage point, given the fact that you are combing through all of this data uh, to make space and low Earth orbit specifically safer and, and, and more organized and more synchronized? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was very happy to see that the U.S. came out and uh, said it was going to ban uh, anti-satellite weapons testing. And I, I think that is a really great step forward uh, to basically counter some some bad trends in the industry. There's been uh, a number of anti-satellite weapons tests over the last few years 
and uh, we, the industry needs to go the other way, or the, the global space community needs to go the other way. Um, there's really no reason to add additional risk into space, especially when uh, the investment climate is so positive, we're seeing so much positive change, um, you add additional risk on it, it, uh, it just hampers everything. So I was really proud to see the U.S. take that leadership stance. Uh, I was also um, delighted to be invited to attend that announcement in person, and it was an honor to see uh, a lot of the service members in the U.S. Space Force uh, recognized for the critical activities uh, that they perform. Uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the broader kind of norms, the broader uh, rules of the road, uh, you know, there's, there's really kind of three things you can do with space debris today. You cannot create it in the first place. You can swerve and avoid it, and uh, you can clean it up. And so in terms of not creating it, the world is, is slowly doing a better job. You know, rocket uh, launch providers and satellite operators are doing a better job of building their satellites the right way so they're less likely to break up. Um, they're they're deorbiting uh, upper stages and they're deorbiting satellites at the end of life to try to keep it clean. Uh, it's not 100%. We're not perfect, but um, the trends are in the, the right way there. Um, swerve and avoid is obviously uh, the core of what Leo Labs does, and uh, uh, we're going to help with a massive step forward in uh, tracking the hundreds of thousands of pieces of small debris that uh, threaten satellites today. So we'll help take that risk off the table. Uh, and then the last piece, cleanup. Really, uh, this is not a routine part of the industry yet. We've seen a few good demonstrations. Uh, Astroscale uh, is, is just wrapping one up. Uh, SSTL, another company, did a, uh, a demo a year or two ago. And um, ClearSpace, another company, is uh, preparing to do one here uh, in the next few years. But we're seeing the kind of first technology demonstrations, and I'm super excited about that. Uh, but we need to put it into routine operation. Like we need to see multiple dead satellites, multiple dead rocket bodies removed from orbit every single year. And so uh, I really hope the space agencies around the world invest in the in getting that uh, industry really up and running. And then we can uh, see the uh, commercial sector pick up uh, as well. Is that something when you think about the longer term for Leo Labs, is that something that you would get involved in as well, the actual removal of that debris, since you do have all that data at your fingertips? Right. I think we can play a really important role in it. Uh, we sometimes, uh, we joke, uh, half jokingly call ourselves the uh, space realtors because with our data, we can identify the good neighborhoods and the bad neighborhoods in space. Huh. And unfortunately, there are, already, there, there are some bad ones, you know, 700, 900 kilometers up there where there were big collisions or there were weapons tests where satellites were blown up. And so, you know, we can guide and we do guide satellite operators to uh, not put their satellites there, put them in better neighborhoods. Uh, and also the, uh, the data we're producing is effectively the actuarial tables for space. So what is the risk? What is the financial risk? And we think that's going to be an important part of the business cases for the people who are going to go remove the satellites because they can point to that and say, uh, the data shows we've got this amount of risk and that justifies uh, removing this piece of debris or this satellite uh, so, that the, uh, uh, so that we don't leave this risk for others to deal with. So really the way to think about Leo Labs, both presently and as you continue to grow and home these radars, these new radars that you're developing, is as your, your data as a service company. Yeah, I'd even go a step farther. We're, we're actually an analytics 
uh, and services company. So we produce, we produce these reports uh, about the risks in space. We produce real-time alerts, you know, where the newly launched satellites are, where the potential collisions are, what satellites are ma maneuvering. Uh, and that's built on top of uh, the data that we provide and, and, the, uh, and the radars that collect it and the software system that produces it. So it's really all about the analytics and about being useful right away, kind of right out of the box. So it's, you've never, the space industry's never had this before where you could just plug into this tracking service that was available right away. You know, the, um, in the past, you would have had to assemble it from individual components or you would have had to uh, ride on top of uh, the work being done by the, the public sector, the US Space Surveillance Network that publishes a little bit of information. Uh, you know, we're out there because um, we're producing those, uh, the real-time analytics and scaling up rapidly with the rest of the space industry. Are you working with some of the other analytics companies that are out there? I think about like a Palantir, for example, which I know is collecting and aggregating and analyzing certain types of space-based data as well. Yeah, so we work, uh, our business is providing services, providing analytics directly to the end users, you know, the, yeah. um, the, the satellite operators, uh, the space agencies that are consuming it. Uh, and then uh, each of those agencies has, you know, different mission partners, uh, different uh, uh, software providers and the like. Uh, and our services, the, the alert messages that we put out uh, can ultimately connect over uh, into those others. But, you know, from, from the get-go, our mission has been to make the capabilities useful day one and that are uh, useful on day one of, of the subscription. And that means providing those reports, those visualizations, those alerts that you can use without having to go through another service. You mentioned the fact that you're a Silicon Valley startup. Um, the space sector, particularly commercial space, um, does seem like it's starting to gain more traction and more attention from the investing community, particularly uh, out of the VC community. Have you found that to be the case? Um, how would you assess the investing landscape and, and, and the interest in, in the work you're doing? Oh yeah, so uh, the venture capital community has been hugely important for the space industry. You know, it's, um, it's actually venture capital investment that really launched this second space race. And, you know, it started, uh, I don't know, maybe about eight years ago when uh, there were some great demonstrations that you could use smartphone techno technology to create modern satellites, launch, you know, large numbers of satellites uh, at a very cost effective pace. And, you know, because it's smartphone technology, it was uh, advancing very rapidly. And so, you know, the, the investors saw this, they kind of, it was a, a sort of a playbook they knew how to run. And so they've been investing a lot of money in the space industry, and that's driving the rapid advances in technology. Uh, you know, and in terms of space traffic management uh, and uh, space domain awareness, uh, the investors have also been uh, hugely important there, that uh, there's been this push to build all of these important uh, services across the space industry. Uh, and, and it's that kind of broad investment that's really locking in all of these changes and causing the space industry to shift into a new norm. So, you know, one of the uh, kind of one of the interesting things that maybe isn't heavily highlighted is there's really a race to build out the next generation of infrastructure. And it's this infrastructure 
that the space industry is going to be built on top of for the next couple decades. Uh, we really think about it in terms of four pillars. Uh, there's the large satellite constellations themselves, you know, that are delivering broadband internet and other services. Uh, there's the launch providers that get the satellites to space, you know, and, and they've done such a good job. It's almost routine now. Uh, to get large numbers of satellites to space quickly, which is which is crazy and really positive. Uh, there's the cloud computing uh, infrastructure, you know, so the large cloud providers that are basically moving from the computer and in, computing industry and broken into the space industry in a big way for the first time ever. Uh, and then there's the mapping and safety uh, and analytics uh, pillar, which uh, Leo Labs is uh, really critical in, especially for low Earth orbit. So. You know, the investors are excited about this this new infrastructure and really being able to uh, create something that future businesses can be built on top of. You know, the alerts and uh, that we put on that we put out future uh, satellite constellations we built on top of that. Different applications will be built on top of it. Uh, the regulators and future norms uh, can build on top of that. Uh, and that's something that has been done in Silicon Valley for decades. You know, platform built on top platform built a top platform. So uh, I think it's uh, it's an exciting trend in one that the space industry is really just starting to leverage. So my final question for you, as a co-founder, as a visionary with this company, Leo Labs, what is the long-term game plan for yeah. you and for the company? Yeah. So we uh, we're basically building out this uh, global analytics platform and making sure that we're keeping space safe even when there's tens, hundreds of thousands of uh, new satellites. So what you're gonna see from us are radars located around the world, these landmarks for space safety and space sustainability. Uh, and you're gonna see a lot of uh, new services and they're gonna be delivered from, from teams around the world. So you know we've got uh, not only teams here in the US, uh, but we've got teams in uh, Australia and a few other countries. Uh, we'll have some announcements about that pretty shortly. All right. Dan, thanks so much for joining me today. Dan, separately of Leo, of Leo Labs. Uh, great conversation. Appreciate the time. Yeah, my pleasure, Morgan. Thank you for the uh, opportunity. Dan, that was great. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank it you. Fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. Hopefully it was uh, got some interesting info there. Totally. And I thought, and I, I'll be honest, what you just had to share about like the VC community and sort of how this is, you know, from investing standpoint, like how this is, you know, these four pillars and how it's all coming together and this idea of platform talk, I, really interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad I asked you that question. Good. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's an interesting trend across the industry that for the longest time space has been kind of so siloed and yeah. now it's the computing industry is breaking in and they're bringing all these models. And personally, I find it fascinating and uh, really enabling. They've spent decades figuring out how to like advance technology at breakneck pace, and now it's in the space industry. So it makes for yeah. a lot of fun. I know I have this conversation um, on our air actually as much as I can about like people don't realize that Amazon and Microsoft are are actually space plays because of that like cloud computing capability and how much they're investing into it. Yep. So. You know, and it's uh and. And you know they don't they don't make just kind of off the cuff decisions. They make very considered yeah. decisions, and yeah, they they really see the huge opportunity in space. So I think it's it's really telling that they're excited to make huge investments. You know, in addition yeah. to the, uh, the other the VCs. 
So when you chat, so just out of curiosity, this is obviously not for the podcast. I'm just asking, like, um, when you track all the satellites that are actually operational and orbiting um, Earth, like, is it just, is it like a third of them are Starlink now? Is it just like SpaceX and then everybody else? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, in terms of the pillars, the satellite constellation pillar, you know, SpaceX is doing well. SpaceX is, accounts for a lot of satellites. They're, they're executing quickly. Uh, you know, and, and there's a few other constellations too, you know, so OneWeb has a lot of satellites up there. Mm -hmm. Planet has a lot of satellites up there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, uh, it's impressive what SpaceX has accomplished. It's interesting. I was having a conversation the other day about this Project Kuiper Amazon yes. constellation. And, um, and I realized it's kind of whenever we'll see it actually start to launch. But just what it's done, that procurement deal that they just announced, like yeah, what it's done incredible. to like the broader launch industry and the fact that all of these companies now are like tight on capacity because they're committed to Amazon. And so it's actually pushing some of the other satellite players into other launch companies, you know, to work with other launch companies that they might not have necessarily gone to uh, originally because it's going to be yeah. hard. The business is going to be tight. Yeah, it really Amazon. changed the dynamic. You know, it yeah, it was kind of, I, it's odd. You know, five or six years ago, people were saying uh, launch capacity is really tight. And, you know, it takes forever to get to space. There's a long line and all of this. And then, you know, there's lots of new launch capability coming online. And, and there was this talk of, well, there's going to be a glut of launch capability. Yeah. You know, how can, you know, in a sense, how are we ever going to fill this up? Uh, but if, but it's kind of normal market dynamics have taken over. All these new satellites are rushing in to eat up all of the capacity. And so, you know, I, I think we're seeing that in many different ways. It's like every time you release the pressure here by increasing capability, then it's full, like immediately. Yeah. And hmm. uh, so, you know, when I got started, there were a lot of kind of naysayers saying, well, you know, maybe this is the late 90s all over again, that there's a... Um, yeah, it's kind of a flash in the pan, a few satellites get launched and then it's over. This isn't the case. You know, it's a total shift in the landscape that uh, now there's more and more and more satellites going up, more and more uh, rockets, more and more companies using them. And it's this time around, costs have come down so much, capabilities come down that um, space is just, it's part of the economy now. So we should expect that dynamic. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts and by following the Squawk on the Street podcast. For more on the space race, be sure to watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC. I'm Morgan Brennan. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.